Thanks for listening to another message from Life Christian Church. We hope it challenges and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith. Don't forget, download our app to stay up to date with what's going on at Life. Share your prayer requests or pray for others. Read the Bible online and much, much more. Simply search for Life Christian Church in your app store. I heard a, uh, a prophetic word uh, maybe a month or so ago. I, I've, been, I've been bringing to our generations a concept of save Tasmania, save Tassie. It's, I believe it's God's heart and certainly my passion to see Tasmania revived and go into revival. And you can go revival, fantastic. That's just lots of more meetings, long nights out. And no, that is not the concept of revival. Revival actually happens if you actually look at what happened in the Welsh revival of the, of the early 1900s. If you look at the Hebridean revival, 1939, 40 odd. We actually don't see just long meetings. Now, now, the presence of God when he comes into these spaces and, and speaks to us and reveals himself to us and we're captivated by his beauty and his mercy and his supremacy, we don't want to tear ourselves away from that. And so the, our, our gatherings can be anything that they want to be. But if we think that revival is just week after week of night after night meetings, we've seriously undersold what God wants to do in reviving a region. As I actually look at and study these revivals, it's not just about a church. It's not about a, a person's name. It's actually God touching down in regions. So that as we come out of a meeting, we're actually finding people in car parks. We're actually finding families gathered around dining tables, seeking out the presence of God as he falls on a region. And in the, in the Welsh revival, it transformed their community so much that obviously Welsh being a, a mining uh, country, the pit ponies underneath the ground stopped being able to work because the miners stopped swearing at them. The, the, the only way that they understood the instructions from the Welsh miners was because they would be, they would be sworn at and when God touched down throughout Wales, valley to valley, gathering to gathering, rugby club to rugby club, the, the transformation even in the language of the working people was so transformed that the pit ponies couldn't quite comprehend what was going on. This is not about long meetings. This is about community transformation. Can I have an amen? I believe God wants to do this for Tasmania. I believe he wants our hospitals and our psychiatry wards emptied by when God touches down and changes hearts and minds. I believe he wants our family, uh, our family courts finding something else to do as there is unity. I, hear, I read stories out of, out of the Welsh revival where, where men and women who stood in the docks accused of crimes just confessed their sin. And the judge was just able to pour out mercy. The police had nothing to do so they formed choirs and travelled round to different churches. Wouldn't that be a glorious thing to have in Tasmania? I heard a, a prophetic word. It was given, it was spoken over a Tasmanian couple, but it was, they, didn't, they didn't speak the word over, they didn't use their names. They continued to say Tasmania, Tasmania, Tasmania. So I've, I've adopted this word for me. And if you want it for you, you can have it. But there was a, a, um, a pastor, a prophet from Guatemala. From Guatemala. I, I'm going to prophesy over Tasmania. I'm from Guatemala. And he, and he began to speak about saying, when I first came from Guatemala and started ministering in the United States, they, they asked me, where is Guatemala? We've never even heard of Guatemala. And, and he said, God reminded me of what they said about Jesus. 
Can anything good come from Nazareth? Where is this, this backwater that he began to say, see a relevancy in Guatemala to the world stage? And he began to speak the same way over Tasmania, that we have thought that we were this left-out little cut-off island that they leave off the map. They're of no consequence. And he began to speak that Tasmania would be the centre of an an epicentre of global revival. And I was so excited by that because it actually wasn't about the name of a church or a movement. It actually wasn't about the name of a pastor or a leader or a program. It was actually about Tasmania would be a place that didn't matter the name of the church that we went to, the name above a door or on a card or of a movement, but the only name that would matter would be Jesus because he is the only one that changes hearts, lives, families. He is the only one that changes the trajectory of a life like mine that was spiralling out of control in addiction and anger and violence and just arrested me at a dining table, not in a church, trying to bluff my way in to a Christian school, fudging my application, saying, yes, I go to church. And they started asking me about, well, well, what do you say the Bible? How would you use the Bible as your curriculum development? Use Bible references. I went, it's a strange question. What role would the Holy Spirit play in your classroom management? Oh, I don't know that. You know, and, and so it says, use Bible references. I'm sitting there at the dining room table. I call it to Karen. I said, have you, have you got a Bible somewhere? This blaming job application needs Bible references. <laughs> I'm lost. I'm an addict. I'm angry. I'm self-centered. I flick open a Good News Bible that still had Sunday school stickers in the front of it. I hadn't opened it for years. I opened it to John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Everything was created through Him. And a light came into my life. I wasn't in a setting of worship. I was in a setting of self-serving. And God touched down and arrested my life. Is it possible for that to happen in Tasmania? I say, yes, beloved. I say, yes. I say, yes, we can be an epicenter of seeing lives transformed, of businesses growing, of of our government walking in integrity, of our schools being a place of of, of great intelligence and industry and creativity. Maybe even bold enough to think that our universities could be places of of unique thought and not just trying to compress everything down just to to follow after a, a leftist ideology. But I better stop digging, huh? Is it possible? I absolutely believe it is. Does it have to happen in my lifetime? No, I really don't care. But I want to play my part in what God wants to do in His church here in Tasmania. I don't care if it's Life Church. In fact, it can't be Life Church. It can't be Abundant Life Church. It has to be the church. A global epicenter of revival in which nations are going to come and fill their pockets and hearts and gather testimonies and take them back to Africa and to Asia, to America, to Europe, because of what is going on in our state. We are not going to be. We do not have buildings big enough. It is only going to be one name. It is only going to be one name. 
So in order to step into this, there's a couple of things you want to do. And if, and if I can, I want to challenge some thinking this morning. If, if, it, if, it, if it pulls on some theology, great, go and wrestle with it and pray about it and talk about it. Let's, I want a faith. I, I want to read my word in a, in, in a, in a, with a robust health that actually says it can be challenged without me taking offense. That I can actually read that and, and, be, and be asked to think of it and maybe stand on another angle of it and, and maybe look at it from a, another perspective and go, could that be a reality? And if it's not, great. You've studied the Word. you spent time with Jesus. If it is and there's a layering, there's, a, there's another context that comes with that, there's a, there's a deeper understanding that goes with that, there's something which matches or syncs with your Mondays, with your marriages, with your money. Well, brilliant. So let me, let, me, let me pull on a few theological threads this morning and see how we go. You nervous yet? I am. I'm, I'm, really, I'm really nervous. But what I, what, I, what I think we need to do, just to start with, and, and Pastor Pete's given me permission to, to promote our, our upcoming state conference, which is in September, is to actually one of the things that we, we need to continue to do for the church to take its place, for the church to do the things that it's intended to do, for the church to be lifted up as that, as that light and that truth about our fields of education, politics and business. For us to really resemble everything that Christ died for, made on purpose for purpose. For us to be able to do that, we do need to think outside our four walls and we need to see ourselves as a bigger church than just a church in Lauderdale or a church in Launceston. Or a church in Alveston. And I would encourage you as much as you can. 13th to the 15th of September. If you can make your way down to Hobart. There is an opportunity for us to gather as the church. Called Australian Christian Churches. Just our expression. Our bat and run. Our, the way that we apply our faith practically and spiritually and relationally. We've got some brilliant speakers coming in. Pastor Wayne Alcorn. Uh, Pastor Melinda Dwight's coming in. And Pastor Nadia Clark is going to come in. We've got a guy called Pastor Daniel Bates who moves in signs and wonders and healings and he's seen radical things. He prayed in our church and he was standing there and he sort of wandered over here and he said, listen, I, I just get this word, I get, I get brain tumour. And I've gone, Crocky, if I'm going after healing, I'm going after a sore shoulder. He was just went brain tumour straight out the gate, right? I'm going, maybe let's just try, I've got a sore hip for a minute and just sort of test some waters. He just went straight brain tumour and we had two people in that area. And we're seeing miracles and we're seeing breakouts under the teachings and the, and the leadership of Pastor Daniel Bates. If you wanted to come and not just receive that healing or those miracles or not just get that teaching, but come into a collective space where we can believe for something greater than what we can achieve on our own, we've called this year's conference Just Believe. From Matthew 5, 36, when you know the story, Jarius has come to Jesus, all of his religion and all of his tassels and robes and all of his positions and power couldn't actually save his dying daughter. Religion is what happens when Jesus, is like Elvis, leaves the room. They had no Jesus, they had no power, they had no authority. Actually, I'm, I'm moved by Jarius in, in his religious state. He was able to come and kneel down before Jesus and call him Master. As Jesus went to go and heal his daughter, the report came in that his daughter had died. And Jesus looked at him and said, do not fear, just believe. Just believe. 
And I'd love to call us as a state into a space where we can collectively compile our, bring all of our mustard seeds together. I preached a message a couple of weeks ago at church and I said, I've got a mustard seed and I'm not afraid to use it. But we've got mustard seeds and I'd love us to, to gather together and, and arc off one another and a deep cry out to deep. If you can come into that position through those days or in any of those nights, I believe it is one of those things which is imperative for the church to move forward. Not to build our walls or to be these silo churches and we can do that within our ACC movement or right across the church. But this is just our opportunity. If I can encourage us to come into that space, I really would love to do that. And promos coming out and registrations are opening and all that sort of stuff. So let me, let me dive into this. I don't believe that God is a sin-conscious God. I don't believe he's running around worrying about all the things I haven't done right and all the things that I've done wrong and all the mistakes that I've made and he's keeping a list. I believe that my Jesus is a life-conscious God. I don't believe he actually wants to work at the broken and the flawed things in my life. He wants to work on the things which are missing. He wants to upgrade me and he wants to change my experience with him. I don't believe that it was actually my sin that punished Jesus. Look what you did to Jesus. Look at how bad and ugly and selfish and all those things. Look what you did to Jesus. I actually believe that the cross was a statement not of my failing but of my value to him. Look what I would pay for Matt. Look what I would pay for Andrew. Look what I would pay for those in the church and outside of the church. And he's wanting and desperate to move into the missing parts of our life. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that we are new creations. The old is gone. The new has come. The old, bad, broken, flawed, addicted, angry bits of Matt, they, they couldn't be restored they couldn't be redeemed. They needed to be killed. And so I was crucified with Christ, the word says. And he's not trying to polish them up and bring them back and fix them and put a bit of sticky tape on them or a fresh coat of paint. He said, no, they are done. They're dead. It's finished. I'm not going to work on your anger. I'm going to work on your gentleness. I'm not going to work on your fear. I'm going to work on your peace. I'm not going to focus on your insecurity or your anxiety. I'm going to upgrade your intimacy with me and your confidence in me. Just pull on a few threads here. See how it sits. Take them out. Take them for a spin through the week and see if it works for you. I'd like to read, if I could, John 20. We actually saw in that beautiful video, I'm with you, Ruth, of that word empty when it was actually placed from empty hearts and, and empty pockets and actually then to empty tomb. What a beautiful rendering of that, that word, how, how it shifted. But in, in John 20, you've actually, you've actually, and it's really worth reading the whole chapter, I won't, but it's the story when early in the morning Mary Magdalene and a bunch of the girls got up to go to the tomb to embalm Jesus. They seriously thought that he had dead. He told them a bunch of times, I'm not going to be, but... They were still locked into 
the natural order of things. I was still not able to really be able to take hold of the promises that God had really spoken through his son, even though they'd walked with him for so many years. And they rock up and the stone's been rolled away. And there's a number of different accounts through the Gospels where they, they meet with angels and Mary meets with Jesus and thinks he's a gardener. And they, and they say, why do you look for the living amongst the dead? We've seen this on the screen this morning. Peter and John run there. John, I love John's rendering of this. I got there first. Peter and I were running, but I won. I, I, I asked the Lord, why did, you, why did you allow John to, to, to leave that in there? And he went, just because I thought it was fun. Now, that's, that's Matt Sharple's theology there. Don't, 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 don't write a thesis on it. But I just thought, did, did John's writing it, and he said, should I put that in there, Father? And he's going, yeah, it's a bit of fun. You got there first, John. Yeah, run old Pete. And then Mary gets this proclamation, this, this, this commandment, go back and tell the disciples I'm going to meet with them. And we pick it up in John 19. On the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. We come back to that point in just a minute, but we actually talk about our lives being locked down for fear. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were stoked when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Bad move, Thomas. Verse 25. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands in his side, I will not believe. So belief is a fairly significant choice that we actually invited into as believers. We can call ourselves believers but we can easily be non-believing believers. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. The doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God, and then Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. I want to be brief in this back end, but I love the fact that Jesus comes and he doesn't address their fear. He simply speaks peace. He say, why have you locked the doors? What's wrong with you? Didn't I tell you? He doesn't come and rebuke them. He doesn't come and scold them. He doesn't come and tell them off. He just simply speaks the word peace, irene. I love the fact that it is the culmination, these, the, the last two words and this word, you find the last two words of the cross saying, it is finished. And his next utterance is peace, peace to you. The accomplished work of the cross has now been met with a risen Saviour. 
He has won the victory for us. I love this thought that the nails have rusted. The crown of thorns that were pressed into his head have turned to dust. The wood of the cross has rotted and the robe has perished, but his love stays the same. Peace, peace. He exchanged it all and gives us peace. I understand because I walk in a very similar world to you. I have children, they need braces. They're going to school. They're finding their way into the world. We've had three. Where I've got another one going through driver training. <sighs> I understand fear. I understand the complexities of marriage and balancing it with money. My wife's a professional musician and lectures at the conservatorium and, and all the space that is being squeezed out of goodness and truth and righteousness in those spaces. I understand that it would be so easy to give ourselves to fear. I understand that we have a trauma-informed world. It used to be pre-war that we were so invested in our communities. This is going to be tough. We're going to get through this together. But post-World War I, World War II, we see the rise of individualism. I want, I have. JFK's great statement was probably the last grasp at a hologram when he actually said ask not what your country can do for you but what you can do for your country that sentiment doesn't run in our land anymore it's what are you going to do for me how are you going to serve me this is my problem and these are my issues well what are you going to do what are you doing about it I'm not doing anything about it I just need you to be aware so you can walk around me because I am the center of my own universe. The greatest sin that the world tells us that we can commit today is to not follow after your own heart. Do not deny what you want or you think or you feel. Freud was massive in this space where he actually said, anything that you want, feel or are thinking, it's either going to be oppressed or repressed. Whereas Jesus himself actually said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Put me first. Put me first, as he says in Matthew 6. If you seek first the kingdom of God, everything else will be added unto you. But this world these days of the, the collective and the sense of community moved into the individual, and that individual is so easy to be traumatized. The war in Ukraine, COVID, political upheaval, marriages dissolving all over the show. But he's not working on our fear. He doesn't come and challenge us. He comes and says, peace, peace. He's not working on the prison. He didn't come and unlock the doors. He didn't, say, he didn't, didn't come and work on the physical environment. He worked on their purpose. Peace be with you as the Father has sent me. I am sending you. You'll unlock the door from the inside. I've already said it's finished. I've already won the victory over all time. For all sin, yesterday's, today's, and tomorrow's sin, I've won it all. Receive the Holy Spirit. For us to walk in our purpose with our children, with our workmates, in our schools, it's believe and receive. He's such a gentleman. He's never going to force himself upon you. He's never going to twist your arm up behind your back. He calls us to gather and he calls us to go. He calls us to believe and he calls us to receive. In John 6, 39, it actually says, they ask him, what's the work? What's the work of God? And Jesus says, the work of God 
is to believe. Believe. He's working at our belief development, not our behavior modification. You see, where our mind goes, the person follows. It's why in, in that Romans 12, 2, it says, Be transformed through the renewing of your mind. Believe, receive, gather, go. And then I love the fact that he works on Thomas's discipleship. Doesn't major on his doubt. The thing, I'm, I'm a fan of Thomas. I guess I understand Thomas in some of these doubting places because these are real. I'm not trying to deny their existence. I'm trying to actually say there's a greater purpose. Sorry, not greater. There is a greater gift towards that space. The fact that Thomas wasn't there and he had to put up with those disciples for eight days. We saw Jesus. We saw Jesus. Jesus was awesome. Jesus had a meal with me. You weren't there. You know, they would have been so annoying to be around. You ever been someone who's just come back from a conference and then it's like, yeah, 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 this is so good and I'm, my life has been changed and I'm doing this? And you go, you are so annoying. I didn't get to share that experience. You know what I love about Thomas? After, after missing out and after having not been able to experience what they experienced, he still kept turning up. We're going to have some mornings where the worship is going to be amazing and it's going to be anointed and everybody else around us is going to be going, wow, it's fantastic, and you're just going to feel like a cardboard cutout. Keep turning up. Have some prayer meetings where everybody gets prayed for, everyone gets prophesied over, not you. Keep turning up. The greatest gift that Thomas gives in this story isn't the fact that Jesus just ministers to him in his doubt, but it's actually he kept turning up. He's still associating with these things, these people. They're, they're being filled with awe. And then Jesus comes in and doesn't rebuke him for his failure, but compassionately offers him proof. He lovingly meets Thomas in his point of weakness. And today, as the team better come and join me, Jesus does not want to reprove or revoke or reprimand you for the things that you aren't. He sees you as you are. He loves you as you are. These are not cliches. These are not cliches to say God loves you exactly as you are and he loves you too much to leave you there. It is the work of justification, just as if I've never sinned, set apart, and then the sanctifying work, the ongoing nature of the work of the Holy Spirit and our connectedness with Christ rolling out from us. He loves you exactly as you are. He doesn't look at you in disappointment, despair, dismay. He doesn't look at you and just go, well, when you change your behavior, I'll then work on you. It's no, when you develop your belief, all things become possible. I love that word shalom. It's your next Sunday. It's a shalom Sunday. Don't tell my church. They'll be so jealous. They'll all want the fifth Sunday of the, of the, the week. But I love shalom. Peace, harmony, wholeness, completeness, prosperity, tranquility, an exemption from rage and the havoc of war. This is what he says to you. This is his offering to you. This is his invitation to you. But we get to receive it. The gospel is this. We were created 
on purpose, for purpose. We were made on love, by love to become love. And it was broken. Love offered us choice because anything else that doesn't involve freedom can't actually be love. You're free to choose how you will live, how you will think. Thomas was free to choose. I will not believe. But that wasn't the purpose. The purpose was you were created by love for love. And we broke it. We were selfish, sinful, rebellious. We chose to put ourselves on the throne. And Jesus said, that's not working out. Doesn't matter what sort of sacrifices you bring, doesn't matter how many songs you offer up, doesn't matter how much money you may give or what sort of acts of service you can do for the poor or for the generations, it's never going to make up for the fact you trashed my gift of love. So Jesus came and he reconciled himself to the world through the cross. He reconciled it. He balanced it. He said, this is, this is now the way home. Not through your behavior. Not through turning a temple into an abattoir. But through belief. And then he restored everything. He restored it. When sin had finished with Adam in the garden, Adam no, looked like, no longer looked like Adam. When, when sin had finished with Jesus hanging on that cross, he no longer looked like Jesus. But it is finished. Peace. And my invitation to you today, I know I've gone over time, so I just want to pray for you and we'll have time at the altar to, to pray. If there's some things going on in your life right now, I would love to encourage you. Please, in this moment, just open your heart to the Lord and simply say, hey, have I not received this good news? Have I not received the truth of Jesus? Have I not made Him my God, my, my, my light, my lamp, my truth, my foundation and my future? It's very simple. You say, I'm sorry. You say, thank you for the cross. And you say, would you please come and live in my heart? You'll have those opportunities today. There's a yes desk at the back. I encourage you to talk to some of the people that will be there about what does it actually look like to live as a brand new creation. Not full of guilt and shame and trying to measure up, but fresh and clean. My encouragement to you as I pray for you is that you've been majoring on your minors. If you think God's trying to deal with your anger, He's not. He wants to give you the gift of gentleness. If you think He actually wants to major on your areas of lust, or ego, he wants to give you the gift of self-control. We feel like I can't be consistent. He wants to give you the gift of perseverance. He works in the positive, not in the negative. I'm more than willing to, to stay and pray as long as you like. But may I pray for you now? Father, you're such a good, kind and loving God. I love the verse that Bron read before from Romans 5 that while we were still sinners, while I was still lost in my sin, not, not because I was a sinner, but while I was lost in it, you said, well, your value to me, Matt, your value to me, Bron, your value to me, Rhonda, is because I love you. Father, I ask that you're going to speak to my brothers and sisters. You're going to transform us through the renewing of our thinking that we're going to be able to come into gatherings fresh. We're going to be able to go in power and a sense of purpose. 
because we know it's not all about our behaviours, it's to set our sights on you. And Holy Spirit, as you are being breathed out upon this place this morning, I ask that those who are thirsty would drink, that those who are hungry would eat, that those who are feeling like hollow shells, imposters, would actually have an opportunity to go, I thank you, God, that you see everything good about me. You see everything noble about me. You see everything beautiful about me. You see me as a person of value and worth so greatly that you went to the cross for me. Amen.